Well, good morning to you. I hope that you're enjoying your summer. Have you, are you enjoying it? It's still summer, you know. Hope you've been enjoying the chance to be outside and uh, enjoying uh, some time with your friends and family to enjoy the beauty that this place in the surrounding area has to offer. I have a friend who is a missionary in the Middle East who's here, and he comes in the summer and only in the summers. He's only ever been to Grand Forks in the summer, and he just thinks this place is beautiful. And it is, right? Especially if all you see is June to August. Why wouldn't you want to live here for the rest of your life? <laughs> That's not the way it is all year, though, right? Um, One of the things I did this summer is uh, my son Aaron and I, we went on a canoeing trip down the Crow Wing River for a couple of days, stayed overnight a few nights, uh, right before the men's retreat. And it reminded me of the summer that I spent in the wilderness um, doing that, camping and building a fire and cooking over a fire. I spent one summer in college um, leading groups of high school kids on adventure trips. And uh, one of the trips that we would go on was we did whitewater canoeing, which you can do. You, you don't need a raft. It's, I mean, you don't go on the same rivers that you would in Colorado for whitewater rafting. You'd probably die if you took a canoe down those rivers, although there's probably some experts that do it. Um, in Wisconsin, there's a river called the Brule River. It comes out of uh, Lake Superior. And there's some really nice whitewater there, especially if you go in the spring. And one of the things that we would always have to do after we would spend part of a day on a very calm portion of a river, not the Brule River, and teach some basic paddling skills, things like how to, the person in the back sort of has to be the commander sort of and telling the person in front what to do. It's two different, there's a, there's just your regular paddling. By the way, it's, it's a paddle and not an oar if you're in a canoe, okay? Oar is for a rowboat, you oar a rowboat. You paddle a canoe. Just some information for you. So when you're paddling, there's just your normal strokes. In the back, there's some specialty strokes, like the J stroke or the C stroke. I won't get into that. But two really important strokes in whitewater canoeing are the draw, which is where you have you reach your paddle way out over to one side, and you draw, you pull the, the, the flat side of the paddle straight towards the side of the canoe. And what that does is it pulls that part of the canoe directly in that direction. It's sort of like taking a hard right or hard left. And then there's also the pry, which is similar. You kind of put your hand on the paddle next to the canoe, and you sort of put the paddle straight down, and you pull straight up like you're lifting the paddle up out of the water, right? Okay, so when you do those things, that helps you position yourself. You can actually uh, also do a reverse, like backward stroke, and if you, with the current... If you're going backwards, you can actually line yourself slowly. You're going backwards against the current so that you can get lined up to go through the whitewater pass so you don't hit a boulder. Okay, that's all more information than you want. Sometime if you want to really learn, you can go on a whitewater trip and I could teach you. We have to stop right before we would get to the rough slash fun parts of the river to review some of this and also to portage all our gear because we're spending a week on the river and so if Uh, a canoe happens to flip or get wrapped around a rock, which happened once in a while. We used plastic rubber canoes, uh, 
like canoe I have, you could wrap it around a rock, it's not metal, and you could get it out and blink, it would come back into shape, as long as you don't crack it, but if it's old like mine, it might crack. But we would portage all the stuff around so that we didn't have to chase water bottles and packs and all that stuff down the river in case it did flip. Because we wanted to talk about that there was going to be some tenuous potential for trouble coming up. Let's avoid some of the difficulty, and we want to plan for the difficulty that's going to face it so that we have a plan for it. Um, This summer when I've been preaching, I've been mostly preaching through uh, several uh, chapters in the book of John, 14, 15, and today we're going to start 16. And I've called these uh, sermons, actually I've had some other men, uh, Ben and Taylor also have shared sermons along these lines in this series Uh, Time with Jesus, because it is uh, an intimate look into when the disciples got to spend with Jesus. It's the longest conversation recorded in Scripture between Jesus and anybody. Um, 17 is a conversation Jesus has with his heavenly Father, for the most part. It's a big, long prayer. And what Jesus is doing at the end of John 15, which I won't preach through... um, And the beginning of John 16 is he's kind of having a chat with his disciples before the rough water comes. At the end of John 15, what he's talking about is how he says this in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it it has hated me before it hated you. He's preparing his disciples for trouble. Trouble's coming. And in John 16, as we'll see here... um, he continues to do that for a little bit, and then he, he equips them. He empowers them. He, he gives them some hope uh, for the trouble that's coming. I've titled this message, A Very Present Help, and that phrase came to my mind as I was reading through John 16, the first half of it, and meditating on it, and it's a phrase that comes out. I had to Google it, like, why is that phrase there? Well, it's, it's a Bible verse. It's Psalm 46, verse 1 which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And what Jesus is explaining to his disciples, he starts off in John 14, and then he continues in John 16, that the disciples have had him with them up to this point, but they're going to have a different, very present help after he leaves. And they have to face challenges and difficulty, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. And I love the phrase, very present. Isn't that interesting? It's not, I don't even know if that's good English, to be honest. I was an English major, but believe it or not, and I know that at least one English teacher in the room can't believe this, but I got through college-level English without ever taking a single course in grammar, because I hate grammar. I do not like studying adjectives and participles and all that. I don't know if a very present help is really good grammar or not, but it's really descriptive. I mean, if you're present, you're there, right? You're either there or you're not. What does it mean to be very present? Like it's emphatic for some reason that we would not misunderstand that, he's, that, that God is really very with us. He's either with us or very with us. I don't know, that's, not, that's bad English for sure. Very with us is not good English. You would get a red mark on your essay, kids, if you put that in your essay. 
But I think what God is trying to help us see is that he is closer than we realize and that we think. Um, I had a friend, uh, when I was in college ministry, I, I had regular contact with him. And when I left working with college students, I kind of lost contact with a lot of my college ministry contacts. I had a friend who was on staff at uh, Virginia Tech and then became a pastor there. And he was actually a pastor there when the Virginia Tech shooting happened. And uh, he wrote a book, actually, it's a pretty good book, you can put that slide up. Um, He wrote a book about some of his experiences there, but I'll never forget when he was talking to me about this experience, um, a group of us actually, that in a situation like this, where it's pain beyond describing, where it's grief that's immeasurable, his really only thing he had to offer that was a help in any way was what he called his ministry of presence. He was just there with people in their pain. He wasn't trying to even comfort them. He certainly wasn't trying to counsel them out of it, but he was there. And in the darkest nights of your life, Jesus wanted his disciples to know and us to know that we had a very present minister. Someone who was there to do the ministry of presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. I think that's part of why he's getting it. I'm not getting into the hardest language that Jesus uses actually in John 15. If you want to read the 18 through 27 sometime, he pretty much says... The forces of hell will be against you soon. (laughs) And I'm going to leave, is what he says in John 16. (laughs) And you're going to need some help. And what he wants to leave the disciples with is the knowledge that they're not alone. That they have a very powerful, helpful person that's going to be with them. So let's look at this passage that describes our very present help, the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away because that will be a temptation when life gets hard from your faith. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when that's not the worst they'll do. They're going to kill you. And when they do, they will think he is offering service to God. That sounds pretty bad. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't know God. And I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember. Sometime a good practice I did this one year is I just noticed every time the word remember or phrases like it were repeated in Scripture. And it's pretty often because we're forgetful and we need that constant reminder. That you may remember that I told them to you. He wants them to remember that, and he says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He's letting them know in the very next verse that he's going to leave, but he's saying, I have been with you, and life has been hard at times. Um, They received their share of persecution. People didn't care for them. They left cities in uh, bad situations. um, But it was going to get worse, he said, and he didn't talk about all of this, which he's about to talk about now, which is the Holy Spirit. 
because he had been present. And then he goes on to say this. But now I'm going to him who sent me, which is the Father. None of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I mean, that would be, if your main guy that you've been following for three years, you've committed your life to, you left your source of income, told you, I'm, I'm leaving, uh, you'd be sad and a little distraught. I would be. But he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is letting us know and the disciples know is that his leaving the earth, which included he would die, he would defeat death, he would rise again, and then he would ascend into heaven. That whole plan, a part of that was related to another part of God's plan, which is that while Jesus is on the planet, the Holy Spirit is not going to come to live in every believer until he leaves and goes back to the Father. And now it's the Spirit's turn to come to planet Earth, in a sense, to live. And it's, you know, Emmanuel means God with us. The Spirit is God in us. Maybe that's what very present means. Not just with, but in us. And Jesus is telling us and the church and the disciples that when I leave, you're going to have a helper. And that word helper is the word uh, paraclete, which is only used by the Apostle John. He uses it in this conversation, and then he uses it one other time in his letter, 1 John. Um, It's a pretty rich, a word with a lot of rich meaning. We'll talk a little bit later about some of those meanings. But what Jesus goes on to share in our scripture reading this morning is that the Holy Spirit is presently helping everyone. He's helping the world in some ways. He's helping the church in other ways. And actually, he's helping Jesus himself um, in, in one profound way. And we're going to look at those this morning. Verse 8 says this, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And here's how the Holy Spirit is helping the world. The Holy Spirit is helping the world gain conviction. The Holy Spirit is helping the world gain conviction. I've gotten a couple speeding tickets in my life. Most of them happened before I turned 18. Only a couple, really. But I remember two of them really well. Um, One of them was on a Sunday, and uh, I share my memories from like when I was a teenager. You know, I can be fact-checked on this. This is just how I remember it, and I'm pretty bad sometimes fuzzy with details. It may not have been a Sunday, but the way I remember it was it was on a Sunday. And I was with my brother, and we went through several, I went through several junkers during my teen years that I drove around, and this time it was a Toyota Celica, which is a kind of a cool car, but it was really old, and it really didn't, it only looked sort of cool, it was very rusty. A couple years, or a couple months after this, I think we took it in for something and found out that the body was almost completely rusted out, and it could have just like, (laughs) crashed at any moment, thank the Lord that it didn't do that, like, um the body was like, it was like a unibody, so like the frame was connected to the body, it could just fall on right off. But um, it didn't run all that well. It was a stick shift, which is fun. 
Um, but I'm driving home with my brother and I, you know, um, if you read, or I have a family that grew up, they're all into cars. And uh, one of the stats, I would sometimes read their magazines when I'm visiting, and, you know, they do a review on this car, and it's like, this car is like, you know, 0 to 30 in this many seconds, 0 to 60 in this many seconds, 0 to 100 in this many seconds, you know, the braking speed. So I said to Chris, hey, do you want to see how fast this can, our car can go 0 to 60? And uh, we were driving down to Mers, <coughs> and um, Sunday morning is pretty quiet. I think we must have gone to the early service because there wasn't a lot of traffic. No one in front of us were at a stoplight, so we do it. And we're driving down Demers, kind of at the intersection of Washington, not from here, west out of town, that west, which is where we lived that way. And uh, it was really slow. I stomp on the gas, you know, shift, first, seven or eight seconds, second, nine or ten seconds, third, you know, 12 more seconds later. I'm sure it was over 30 seconds later, and it's working really hard to go past 55, like really hard. And the light on South 34th Street, where Ray Richard Golf Course used to be, is coming pretty fast. And I'm like, but we're so close. We can do it. And I see it turn yellow, and I know I'm not going to get through it. I'm going to have to stop. So we're just very close, and we finally hit 60, and I like hit the brakes, and it wasn't like a screeching, like, sliding or anything like that, but it was close, and I had to hit the brakes really hard, and so we stopped, and it was a red light, and we got there in time, and I don't know if it was 38 or 47 seconds, it was a long time. That's quite a long distance, if you know where that is, Washington to South 34th Street. Um, And uh, then I look in the left in the left lane right ahead, and there's a policeman stopped at the light, had been stopped at the light because it had been red for a while, and I knew I was busted. The light turned green, he turned his lights on, turned around, excuse me, do you know how fast you're going? And I was like, um, yes, I know exactly how fast I was going. <laughs> because I was trying to show my brother how fast we can go, zero to 60, And he's like, well, I didn't get you going that fast, which means the speedometer was also off in my junky car. He gave me a little bit of a break. I didn't argue with him. I mean, that would have been really stupid, in my opinion. Um, I knew exactly what I was doing. There's no chance he had any mistake at it because he was sitting stationary at the red light. I just didn't notice because I was so worried about making sure I hit my speed. I was convicted I didn't even argue that I broke the law. There was no way around it. I knew it, and I was inside. I knew I had done the wrong thing. Conviction is a necessary, essential step for us to know God in a saving way. If we don't get to the place ever where we know that we are guilty before God, of breaking his law, we will not understand that the offer that Jesus is giving us is so profound. Jesus goes on to say that this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I will say this, this is a hard passage, but I want you to realize this is actually pretty encouraging to me because this is all the Holy Spirit's job. It's not my job. If you have someone that doesn't know Christ that you're close to and you wish they would find him in a profound way, you know they need to come to a place 
where they're convicted of their sin and realize their need to be saved from that. But that's not your job. It's not my job. I'm glad of that. I don't have that burden. That is the Holy Spirit's job. He's at work doing that right now in the world. The lost need this. He says, Jesus explains how the, how the Holy Spirit, sin, righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe me. The root of believe in me. The root of all sin is an unbelief in God. Either that he doesn't exist at all, or that what he says isn't really true. In other words, that there are laws that I have broken, his laws, and that I'm not really guilty. The root of all of that is unbelief in God, or unbelief in God's word is He's revealed himself. So the, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness as well. It says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Only one man could ever go to the Father without having to pay for his sins, and that was Jesus. There's, there's the, God, the, the Word of God says that God is so holy that he can't stand to be in the presence of sin, and only Jesus can go there This is the understanding that Christ is the only one who can do that. He's the only one without sin. We are not righteous. God is righteous. And that concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan has been judged and condemned for his crimes first. And there is a reality, a helpful understanding that there's a day that every one of us will be. And the one who is judging will be righteous. It won't be a judge that we will argue with or think he made did a bad job like sometimes earthly judges make bad decisions they give bad judgments they convict people of crimes that weren't committed or they don't convict people of crimes that they did commit god's not going to get any of that wrong and the holy spirit is at work right now to do that in the lives of unbelievers i just want to let you know that's hard to kind of process but i'm really glad he's doing it So I don't have to, even though sometimes I think I want to. In the end, it's a tiring job. I'm glad he's at work doing it right now. And Jesus goes on to say, now he's going to transition. He says this now. That's the world. Now here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you. Disciples, followers of Jesus, and now we know the church. He says, first, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's not going to give them everything right now. I'm glad that God hasn't given me everything that he has to say to me or communicate to me all at once. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of one way that God spoke to me clearly. It has to do with um, Andre and I and how he led us together. But you know, um, when I was in high school, I grew up in Grand Forks in high school, and Andrea grew up in Grand Forks her whole life. Um, I had friends that went to her youth group. I met her best friend in high school. I am really glad we never crossed paths in high school because we would not have gotten married. <laughs> Me in high school, I was not proud of. I wasn't like a bad kid. But I don't think that had we crossed paths at that point, that later on, how God led that would have happened. And it, was, it, was, it could have easily. Actually, it's possible, because I attended some youth group events and things, that we could have been in the same room. I didn't ever meet her or know who she was. God's timing is perfect. He, he reveals 
what is necessary and important at the time. I'm glad for that. Jesus is just reaffirming that some of what the disciples will need, they'll need to understand and hear later, which is what the, part of what the Holy Spirit's going to do for them. And then he says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, speak, he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so, there's a lot in that passage and what he's communicated so far, but I've just tried to summarize, although it's not the best summary. It's, it's not, we're going to talk about it more. But basically, here's what the Holy Spirit is presently helping, is he's presently helping God's people receive true guidance. Guidance into truth and, and guidance that we can trust. He's, he's going to give us guidance. The Spirit is described as the helper, the paraclete, and if you were to get eight different Bible translations and lay them all out in front of you, the likelihood is that you'll probably have six or seven different words for the helper in this passage. You might have the comforter. You might have the counselor. You might have the helper. You might have the encourager. You might have the strengthener. Because all of those are accurate and descriptive of the word that John uses because it's a very rich, full word. It actually, that literally word is para, which if you know any Latin or Greek, it just means with. It's the one who's with, alongside you. Uh, The Holy Spirit is like our guidance counselor. You know, you didn't just need a guidance counselor in high school or college. I, I didn't ever go to my counselors, did you? I didn't. Some of you probably went regularly. I just never did because I didn't need guidance. I knew what I needed, wanted to do and where I was going, so I didn't need their help. Actually, I do need someone to provide guidance, and I do need counsel. I need someone to help me understand myself and where God is leading me. The Holy Spirit, probably a good description that we could connect with today, is like a life coach. I don't have a life coach in person, but a life coach is someone who is your cheerleader, someone who challenges you to do your best. Another good modern-day example in the, the physical realm would be a personal trainer. You know, a good personal trainer, you know, like if I was a, you guys would not hire me if I was a personal trainer. I mean, maybe, maybe I've matured enough, but there's a point in my life when I was in, those, uh, in the wilderness with those high school kids, my, my job was like wilderness guide. It wasn't counselor. And I'm kind of glad because I was hard. I was like, get to work, you suburban softies from Minnetonka. Uh, you go collect more firewood. <laughs> and you go set up the tents and you stop whining that you don't have shampoo. We're in the wilderness. And I probably would be my style. would be a little hard. It might appeal to maybe some men. Maybe. But the Holy Spirit isn't like that all the time. There's times when he might be tough on you, like perhaps a life coach or a personal trainer might be tough on you because you, they, know that you're, you, they, they know that you know what's best. And they know that you need a little help getting over the hump 
to believe and do what you know is best. And they're doing it for your best interests. They're always on your side. The Holy Spirit is always on your side. The Holy Spirit is like your personal shepherd or pastor. That word in the Bible, by the way, is almost interchangeable. The word shepherd and pastor, that's what they eat. They're equal. They're the same term, just different translations of the same term. You have one inside all the time. He's your active advocate. He's always on your side. Have you ever been in a situation, in a conflict of some kind, in school, uh, in work, in a neighborhood, maybe it's a legal situation where you just need someone to be on your side? Well, the Holy Spirit's always on your side. He's always your advocate. You know, there's a difference between conviction and shame. And if you ever feel accused... Just know that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the accuser speaking to you internally. The the Holy Spirit does not accuse you. Because there's nothing to accuse if you're in Christ. If, If you're in Christ, what God sees is Christ's performance. There's nothing to accuse. It was perfect and now that's yours. And so there might be conviction of, I need to get in line with God. But there's always sort of an edge of encouragement of you can do this, of you know what's right, of you know that's not what's best for you. Accusations usually lead to feelings of shame and worthlessness, and that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a constant encourager, is a tender comforter, and is a strengthener. I talked about this when we went through John 14 months ago. I don't expect you to remember it that far, but a part of what the Holy Spirit does is to give us access to the same power that Christ used to rise from the dead. The same power. Just think about that. In Ephesians 1, it says, the same power that Christ rose from the dead with is yours and mine. He's your helper. He can get you through what you're suffering or challenged with. He's your intercessor. He intercedes on your behalf. I want to give one example of how the Holy Spirit has guided me. Uh, And we do have to listen if we want guidance. Did you know that? If you go to a counselor and you say, I have a problem, any kind of counselor, and will you please help me? And if they tell you really wise, good things to do, and you don't listen... Guess how much it's going to help you? None. Or maybe you like listen sort of like, it hit my ears and my eardrums, and I even wrote it on paper, but nothing ever happened after you left beyond that. That's not actually not really listening. That's just pretending to listen because you're not responding. Um, you're not going to be benefited. We actually have to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. So uh, when one summer uh, I was... It was right when I was beginning college ministry, and uh, it's probably the most, most clear time. There's many, been many, many times, but it's probably been the most clear and sort of wild experience of having the Spirit guide me. I was uh, in Colorado, and my role was to be a worship leader. I had just taught myself to play guitar the previous summer. I was not good. And the first week of worship was not good. Uh, that group of a hundred or so college students had the experience of watching a worship band develop from pretty much nothing to adequate in the course of 12 weeks, I would say. 
there usually was a big group of musicians that would end up coming to this leadership training. It was a summer-long leadership training. Um, it just happened to me this is one of the years when not very many musicians came. And I was like the best one. I was like, this is not going to be good. I spent a lot of time. It took me about 25 hours a week to learn four or five songs for Tuesday and four or five songs Thursday. That was like three quarters of my job because I wasn't good. It took a long time. The summer goes on, and uh, it was a tough summer for a number of reasons. We had, a, we had a team from Cottonwood that was there, six or seven people. There were challenges that were there, um, things that I haven't faced even since. We had um, somebody that was extremely depressed, like expressing some suicidal thoughts and things like that. Um, and it was hard in our group, part of what I was leading. I hadn't had to encounter that sort of thing. Um, there was challenge, personal challenge of challenges um, in my personal life, family, whatnot. Okay, so here's the short story, because time's up. I was leading worship, just like Brandon was right here. Actually, I was more like over here, and there's a couple singers over there, and Andre was singing over there. We'd known each other for three or four years. And uh, I'm leading worship in the middle of a set. I'm worshiping the Lord, and I'm like, wow, people are actually worshiping. This is awesome. This is great. Praise you, Jesus. And I look over, and I see Andre worshiping, and it was like, it was like I was looking through the world like this, and then all of a sudden, God went like this through the Spirit. And I looked at Andre, and I said, the Lord said, I think that's who you need to marry. And I still had songs left in the worship set. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I went on with the worship set, and I was very disturbed. And was, that's a whole other story. I'll show you the rest of it some other time. I did a process of confirming what he, his will was. We're married. It ended up being that it was the Spirit speaking after all. <clears throat> he wants to lead us. And we have to listen. He wants to guide us, and we have to respond. The last thing, and this is the shortest one, is this. It doesn't need to be the shortest, but we'll apply this in our last worship song. Is that whether it's relating to the world by convicting the world, or whether it's relating to the church by guiding us into all truth, comforting, encouraging, all of that, here's what the Holy Spirit is helping Jesus do, and that is this. In one way, he's not really helping Jesus because he doesn't need help. But he is helping Jesus to get all the glory. God gets glory when we're led, and God gets glory when the world is convicted and brought to repentance. And it's all about Jesus. That's the end result. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us into truth, and we have the Holy Spirit present with us here on this planet to convict the world. That's his job, not ours. The Holy Spirit is our very present help. And we're going to close with this song, uh, The Great I Am, which is a great song of giving God the glory for who he is. Let's close with that song. I want to stand and pray, and then we'll sing this last song. God, thank you for being good. Thank you for being our guide. You guide us into all truth. You do it in a way that is encouraging, empowering, you're our advocate, you're our intercessor, you are like our inner pastor, our inner shepherd. You are always with us. You are closer to us than we can think or imagine. And you care about us. 
Jesus, when you left, you were excited to go because you knew it would be good for your disciples, including us. That if you leave, then the Holy Spirit's going to come not only to be God with us, but to be God in us, inside. The Holy Spirit leading from inside of us. Thank you for thinking to provide for us in that way. Thank you for the very present help we have in the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. All right, I got a couple quick